the Lord concentrates on the results. The sower sowed his seed in four different places, and we have four different results. Thank you, Pastor Silver. Open your Bible, would you please, this evening to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew 13 in your Bible. Please turn there. We're going to look tonight at a parable that we know as the parable of the sower. Now, in chapter 13 of Matthew, the uh, style of Jesus preaching changes. Up to this point, he basically told it like it is. But in chapter 13, all of a sudden, he begins a series of parables. Uh, You'll notice verse number 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables. You see that. Now, I'd like you to see the reaction of the disciples, because when they heard this, they thought, what did we miss? What, what's going on here? Why is he changing his style of delivery? He doesn't preach like this. That's not how he normally preaches. Look at verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Parables were nothing new. People had been using parables for a long time. Someone once defined a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The idea of the parable was to communicate a truth. It was a story, often a homespun sort of story, designed to communicate a truth. Those of you familiar with Aesop's fables, Uh, may be familiar with this concept of communicating a life truth through a little story. And here the Lord Jesus starts doing this. Now, the disciples didn't understand why that Jesus was doing this. In verse 1, we have a clue. It says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. Now, what day are we talking about here? Well, we go back to chapter 12, and a careful study of chapter 12 would find the Lord Jesus essentially presenting himself as the Messiah and offering him the, uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven to the Jewish nation. Chapter 12 is a very exciting chapter with many things happening in it. The Lord, he performed a couple of important miracles, and... In verse 22 of chapter 12, then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Now watch the reaction of the people in verse 23. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? That is an Old Testament expression for the Messiah. The son of, is not this the son of David? So the people were saying, whoa, wait a minute here. Hey, who could do these things but the Messiah? And verse 24, there's the Pharisees. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. 
And so the Pharisees were attributing the power that the Lord Jesus had to Satan. Now, in truth, the power that the Lord Jesus had was the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Father sent the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was performing these miracles through Jesus. Now the Pharisees attributed the power of the Holy Spirit to Satan. And this, my friend, is the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost spoken of in verse 31. That is the sin they committed. Verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. There is a small world of controversy as to what all this means. But I suggest to you that in order for this sin to be committed, you have to have the Lord Jesus on earth performing miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit and offering himself to the Jewish nation as Messiah. And when you recreate those conditions and then attribute the power, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit to Satan, you have the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But I just want you to see here in chapter 12, the Lord Jesus was offering himself to the nation of Israel. Look at verse 28 of chapter 12. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, look at these next words, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. And so here he's talking about the kingdom of God. The people, they were saying, is not this the, the son of David, the Messiah? The opportunity was perfect for Israel to receive her Messiah. If she had have done that, then the Lord Jesus would have ushered in the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. However, the heart of the people was turned. The Jewish people rejected Jesus Christ at that time. And so now, this same day, his preaching changes. We get here into chapter 13, this same day, and he starts speaking parables to them. In fact, he gave a series of parables dealing with the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to be examining this first parable tonight, the parable of the sower. Now I invite you to pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, please teach our hearts tonight. Teach us truth. Father God, I pray for everyone tonight who is watching. There may be some with hardened hearts. I pray you would soften those hearts, Father. There may be some with very emotional hearts. And their emotion just seems to get the better of them. Father, I pray you would settle that down and give them a balance in life. My Father, I, I do pray for those that have good hearts. I pray you, dear Father, that in Jesus' name you would encourage them and build them in their faith. That they would trust you more. They would live for you more. They would depend upon your scriptures, your holy word. That is so important for us today. And so, dear Lord, in Jesus' name, take us by the hand and lead us into truth of this parable. Apply it to our hearts. For your glory, we pray. Amen.
All right, well, we have here before us the term the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is an expression used 32 times. 32 times in the Bible. And they're all used in the Gospel of Matthew. Every one of them is used in Matthew. You see, Matthew wrote his Gospel to show that Jesus was King of the Jews. That's the... Uh, the motive behind Matthew's writing. And you can see that very clearly. All of the, the genealogy of a king and the three wise men came and bowed before him and gave him gifts worthy of a king. Uh, in fact, they came to uh, Pharaoh, uh, not Pharaoh, uh, who was that other idiot that ruled? Um, uh, Herod, thank you. Boy, that's a pre-senior moment going for me here. So King Herod, yeah, that that clown. And they came to him and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews, right? So you have the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is showing that Jesus is king. And that's why we have this expression here, the kingdom of heaven. And of course, Jesus is a king. A king needs a kingdom. Can't have a king without a kingdom. Got to have it. Now the, the Jews were all familiar with the Davidic covenant that God made with David, promising to establish his seed after him. They all knew about this, the kingdom of David. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And it's from verses like that that the Jews and others most likely got the term, the expression, the kingdom of heaven. You know, if we took the time, we could go to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, where an angel comes out and announces that all the kingdoms of this world are now belonging to Jesus Christ. And folks, let's not forget that that is going to happen. That will happen. But only Matthew uses this term, kingdom of heaven, because he is showing Jesus as a king. Well, we know the kingdom of heaven uh, and the rule of Christ on earth. We understand it by the term the millennial kingdom. Millennial means the thousand years, thousand year kingdom of Jesus Christ. But when Israel rejected her Messiah in chapter 12, Jesus began using parables to teach and to reveal the kingdom postponement. So this thousand year kingdom, which they could have had 2,000 years ago, is now postponed and in the interim we would have the church age. This now becomes Jesus' preaching. The keys, of course, of the kingdom of heaven were given to Peter. We know that in Matthew chapter 16, a couple pages after this, verse 19, Jesus said, I will will give to thee the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He was talking to Peter. So we know that Peter was to be given these. So that also involves something to do with the gospel, something to do with the church. Because we know what Peter went on to become in the church. 
And so Jesus, uh, at that time, also started to preach about the cross. He had never preached about his death, burial, and resurrection up to this point. In fact, let's look at it, shall we? Let's just turn a couple pages to chapter 16. And in verse 19, there you have it. Jesus says to Peter, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And we move down to verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now that's the crucifixion. Of course, Peter, not understanding, takes Jesus to one side and sort of rebukes him and says, Oh no, you've made a mistake, Lord. This will never happen to you. And that's when Jesus had to rebuke Peter. Has the Lord ever had to rebuke you in your Christian life? If you say, no, never, then you're probably due for a rebuke because you just told a lie. Truth is, the Lord is rebuking us. He's chastening us and rebuking us throughout our Christian lives because, folks, we need that. We need that. We are creatures of dust. We are creatures of sin. We are creatures of this world. We get born again into God's kingdom and we bring this horrific baggage with us. And God lovingly and patiently works with us over months and years and decades, rebuking and chastening and encouraging. He breaks down. He builds up. God makes no mistakes. He knows what He's doing. Peter here needed a good rebuke and he got it. So, what do we take from all this? The kingdom of heaven, it begins with the church age, which we are in now, and it finishes with the end of the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so these parables, they introduce to us this change. Now let's go back to chapter 13, shall we? And I'd like you to, to notice when the disciples in verse 10 came asking, why are you teaching parables? Speaking to them in parables. Verse 11. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word here is mysterion, and it means, well, it, it often meant, originally, it meant a secret ritual. A secret ritual. But the idea was something that was concealed from view. You couldn't see it. That's the idea of a mystery. Something that's concealed from view. Now, there is a number of, of um, places where this is spoken of. Look here in chapter 13, and let's look at verse number 35. Here we have, actually, this is prophecy number 11. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew has given a series of prophecies that Christ fulfilled. And this one is number 11. It says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. There are some things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And that's why we have progressive revelation. We have the Bible beginning at Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and so on, and we learn more and more. Truth is communicated to us. And then we get, of course, into the, the books of uh, 
Judges and First and Second Kings and the Samuels and so on, and we get into Psalms and Proverbs, and we're learning more and more and more. And then we get into the prophets, the major and the minor, and then we get into the New Testament, and Christ is revealed. He's been predicted and prophesied, and then He's revealed. And here we see that He was offering the kingdom to the Jews, and they rejected it. And so Jesus starts with a series of parables here, the first one being the sower. And he's explaining that the kingdom is now put on the back burner. It was on the front burner. We were ready to go ahead, but you're not ready. It's on the back burner. And instead, we're going to go with the church. Has God given up on Israel? Absolutely not. Has God destroyed Israel? Absolutely not. God is not finished with Israel. God will pick back up on Israel because God loves Israel. God loves the Jewish people. Believe it or not, they are still the apple of his eye. Just about every day I'm watching the news and I'm keeping an eye on Israel and things that are going on over there. And right now the rockets are flying. And there's one little town in particular in a state of emergency. But they've been firing rockets um, out of Gaza. The Palestinians have been firing rockets into Tel Aviv. My wife and I were in Tel Aviv a few years ago. It's a beautiful little spot. But Israel right now needs our prayers. God is not finished with Israel, and Israel is going to come back on the front burner, the forefront of God's plan. And that's going to be happening one day, maybe one day soon. We'll see. But we have here uh, numerous times in the New Testament where this concept of uh, mystery and things that are kept secret is mentioned. One of these things that is kept secret is the church age. You will not find the church age in the Old Testament. It was a secret. It was not revealed. Anyone who stands up and says, here in this book of Psalms, in this particular Psalm, this particular verse is a prophecy of the church age, they're wrong. Anyone who takes, um, say, the, uh, the Song of Solomon, which is a book I love, and I do see a love story between God and Israel, between Jesus and the church, but it is not a prophecy of the coming New Testament church. It is not. The New Testament church was not known. It was unknown all throughout the Old Testament. It had never been heard of. So Matthew chapter 16. I will build my church. That's what Jesus said. Now there's a prophecy right there. Till then the church was a mystery. We have people today that believe that uh, the rapture is nothing but hocus pocus. I mean Christian people. I mean people who are born again. And they say, ah, you know, the, the rapture, that's all make-believe. And it's the invention of some guy uh, about 200 years ago. And before that, no Christian ever believed in the, in the rapture and stuff. And I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe that for a minute. And I believe that, uh, yes, the word rapture in the Latin form is found in the scriptures. It really is. I believe that the teaching of the rapture is definitely found in the scriptures. You say, well, why didn't Jesus teach about it? Because it was still a mystery. It was still being kept secret then. It was only revealed later to his servant, the Apostle Paul. Paul said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He wrote that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he talks about the rapture. 
Well, anyhow, we're not here tonight to talk a lot about that, but I did want to point out that there are certain things that were not revealed until certain times, and the church age being one of them. And so this first parable here, the parable of the sower, actually, you know, the more I think of it, the more this parable deals with the ground than it does the sower. Because the sower, we don't really know anything about him, but we know a lot about the ground. More emphasis is put on the ground in this parable than it is on the sower. So I'm not sure why it is we call it the parable of the sower. Maybe we should be calling it the parable of the soil, perhaps. But we have the sower who is never identified. We don't know who it is. We have the seed. It is not specifically identified. However, in verse 19, chapter 13, verse 19, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, catcheth it away. And so the word of the kingdom seems to be an inference here. Um, specifically, it's not identified, but it's inferred as the word of the kingdom. Now, I do believe that the gospel is part of the kingdom of heaven because you can't get saved apart from the gospel. You can't get into the kingdom of heaven apart from the gospel. So it's very important, the gospel. I believe that the gospel is part of everything God does. Certainly, the bulk of Jesus' ministry on earth was to teach the kingdom of heaven and the necessity about being born again. His great discourse with um, uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except. A man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so, we have the, the importance of the gospel being part of the kingdom of heaven. It must include, the kingdom of heaven has to, it must include the gospel. Now, we come to the soil. We have, of course, the sower, we got the seed, we got the soil. Only the soil is specifically identified. And there's four different types, and we're going to look at it quickly tonight. And so therefore, right off the bat, I want to suggest to you that the teaching here in the parable of the sower, the main teaching, the meat and potatoes of this parable, is all about the soil, the ground, which is a reference to the hearts of men. Now, chapter 13, verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. And so here the Lord Jesus is glossing over the sower of the seed. You would think that the, the man who's holding the, the, the seeds of life in his hand that there'd be some more detail, some more spotlight put on this great sower of the seed, and yet there's none. The Lord glosses over the, the, sower, the sower and the sowing, and the Lord concentrates on the results. The sower sowed his seed in four different places, and we have four different results. Now, in verses 3 and 4, I'd like you to notice that this is all past tense. 
And so as the Lord is giving the parable, he's saying, verse 3, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. The guy's already gone. He isn't going forth. He went forth. And when he sowed, it's all past tense. And so here now, the emphasis is on the results. What happened? That's what the Lord wants us to see. What happened? And so in verse number 4, let's look at it here. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. So here's the first place that the Lord tells us that the sower cast some seed. This wayside is what's known as the pathway. It's the way that you go and usually on the side, not through the middle of the guy's cornfield, but on the side. So it's the wayside, the way on the side. And here is the first place where some seeds ended up. And what's the results? The results are in verse 4. It says the fowls of the, the fowls. You have to understand there's a difference between fowls and birds. In the Bible, in the King James Bible, Birds are always the little chicks, the babies. Fowl are the growing up adult, what we would call birds. We just call them all birds, don't we? Sometimes we say the birdies, meaning the cute little babies in the nest or the little chickies or something in the nest. But in the King James Bible, bird refers to the, the um, um, immature, the, the still growing the not yet developed baby bird, the fowls, those are the fully grown birds. And so verse 4, it's the fowls that came and devoured them, ate them up. And so here we have the first place. So seed got onto the first place, the wayside, and here's the result. The fowls came and ate them up. All right, that's number one. Number two in verse 5, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. The stony places here are the sort of the area next to the wayside. So you've got the wayside, you've got the stony places. These are next to, beside the pathway, let's say. And they had more stones in them than they had earth. Maybe over time, people would be throwing the stones you know, stones have a way of working themselves up in the soil. You know that. And farmers deal with this all the time. In fact, there used to be an old expression when they would have a, a, a horse-drawn large um, uh, flatbed on wheels. They would draw this slowly through the uh, farmer's land and workers would be out there and they would be picking up the stones and throwing them onto the flatbed and they called it a stone boat. B-O-A-T, a stone boat. That was the term they gave it. Anyhow, getting the stones up and out of the soil. And so quite likely, a lot of the stones ended up beside the pathway. You don't want stones on your pathway. That's going to make dangerous walking. You could twist an ankle or something. And so maybe that's where they put a lot of the stones. There wasn't much dirt there, not much earth at all. And so let's look at it again. And forthwith, they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And so what happened? Verse 6, And when the sun was up, 
up and hot, by the way, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. So you have the second place where some seed found uh, a home. And that's on the stony places beside the wayside. And what happened? The second result, well, they sprung up pretty quick, but they got scorched and died because there was next to no root. No root. Nothing to speak of. Now we come to verse number 7. And some fell among thorns. Now the thorns would be perhaps around the edges of the good ground. So I think we're getting a picture painted for us here. We have the wayside, the pathway along the side. We've got the stony area next to the wayside. Then we get into some thorny area where there's thorns, thistles, weeds perhaps. So some fell among the thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. So here's the third area and the third result is that, yes, something started making its way up. Something took root and started to come up. But the thorns choked the daylights, choked the life out of these little saplings or whatever they were. They, they, they were coming up out of the ground here. And then we come to the fourth area. Verse number eight. But other fell into good ground. So here's the good ground, number four. You notice that we've got these four different types of ground. We've got the hardened pathway where people are walking. We've got the, the stony places next to the hard pathway. Then we have the thorny places next to that. Now we have the good ground. Verse 8, other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Wow. So we have the fourth area. And the fourth result is it brought forth fruit. Now, I want you to bear in mind that this parable is designed and meant to show, to show us the results of the preaching of the kingdom of heaven. That's the whole idea behind this. Because we're later told that the, uh, the, the guy goes forth and he, he preaches the word of God uh, verse 18, Hear therefore the parable of the sower, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. And so someone is preaching the word. Maybe they're preaching it on um, a radio or on internet or on television. Maybe they're preaching it on a street corner. Maybe they're preaching it from a pulpit. Um, maybe the preaching is done on the printed page. We hand out thousands. Over the last 20 years, I'm, I'm guessing that we've probably handed out well over 50,000 uh, pieces of gospel literature that we've handed out freely to people in the city and in their homes and mailboxes. And we're currently still doing it. But we have a new twist, a new angle to it these days. And we're very excited to see that we're getting some fruit from these gospel tracts we're handing out. Later in the end, uh, Pastor Devian is going to come make a couple of announcements and he's going to tell you about it. He's going to tell you more about it. But we're looking at the results of what happens when the word of God goes forward. And uh, how does the preaching of the kingdom of heaven, how does the preaching of the gospel affect people's lives? And so Jesus himself interprets the results. In verse number 19, 
He says, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. Now this is like the very first place where the seed fell in verse 4, the wayside. And so here's someone who hears, but their heart doesn't understand. Then cometh the wicked one, that's a reference to Satan, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. This man, this woman, this young person has a hard heart, just like the wayside, the pathway where people are walking, and that ground gets constantly walked upon and pounded down, and it becomes close to concrete. It's so hard. And some seeds fell there. And this person is probably hard-hearted, very selfish, very uncaring for others. They got a hard heart. And yet I want you to notice that they too got a little bit of seed. It's important that they, even these hard-hearted, selfish, uncaring people, get an opportunity to hear the gospel. They get a little bit of seed. Verses 20 and 21, we have the next place. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon, that means right away, with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. And so he's out of the game. So here we have the second place. Here's someone who hears and receives with joy, but it fizzles out. It doesn't last. This person tends to be more emotional. They tend to be led by their emotions. They're up one day, they're down the next. They hear the gospel, they want Jesus. The next day, nah, what a mistake. They throw them out. You know, there are many so-called churches today that are built on emotionalism, that are catering to people emotionally. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have emotions because we're made in the likeness and image of God. Emotion is part of life. I'm glad we have emotion. It's like having taste buds. Imagine if you had no taste buds. I've read where you have more taste buds in your nose than you do in your mouth. I'm not sure. I've never counted them. That's just what I've read. But isn't it wonderful to smell the aroma of good food hmm? and to taste some of the wonderful things that the chefs and the cooks are able to prepare for us? Imagine if you had no taste buds. Everything would just be like eating straw or sand or something. There'd just be no, no joy in it. I'm glad that we have a little bit of emotion. Amen! I'm glad. But, just like with our taste buds, if all we ever did was eat chocolate and sugar and candy, what's going to happen to us? Well, our teeth are going to rot and fall out. We're all going to become diabetics. Our health is going to break down. We'll all get sick. So we have to keep it in balance. And we have to eat some proper vegetables and meat and potatoes. You know that there are people that hate vegetables. Did you know that? Did you know that there are people in the world who do not like vegetables? Am I speaking to someone tonight? Eat your veggies. They're good for you. Yum, yum. That's why God made them. Boy, you would never have survived 
before Noah's flood because that was the main diet of people was vegetables and things like that. You would have died before Noah's flood came along. Anyhow, uh, tonight we're talking about this, the soil and the sower here. So we do have so-called churches that are built on emotionalism. They specialize in ways to make you cry and shout and laugh and to feel. But it's not real. Just like this area of ground, the, the stony places. Sure, the, a little bit of seed, up it comes, out it goes. That's what happens. But even these people need a little bit of seed. They need seed too. And we have to hurry on here. We come to verse 22. And the Lord Jesus interprets here for us. He says, He also that received seed among the thorns. Is he that heareth the word and the care of this world, watch this now, and the deceitfulness of riches. Oh, boy, we have that problem today. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. And so here we have someone who hears, but they're full of worldly care. They're deceived by money. They got dollar signs for eyeballs, some of them. And the concerns and cares. And boy, I'll tell you, you get a lot of money, you're going to get a lot of concerns and cares and worries. It's far, far better just to pray that God would meet your needs. Lord, give me meat sufficient for today. That's how the Lord Jesus taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, Lord, give us investments so that we have so much that we say to ourselves, soul, thou hast much goods laid up. What should we do? Eat, drink, and be merry. Let's pull down our barns and build up bigger barns. You see, that's the thinking of the world today. And that's what gets a lot of people in trouble. It destroys Christian faith. Who needs faith if you got money, right? That's the worldly way of looking at it. And the deceitfulness of riches. And these are very worldly people, and they are filled with the worries of life. Can I ask you if you have a lot of worries? You carry a lot of worry. You worry a lot. How good are you on the, 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 in the worry business? Hmm? These people, some of them, they're slaves to their jobs. They're always chasing money. And so they fizzle out. But you see, even these people, they get a little bit of the seed too. And I think that's important to notice. That those who have hard hearts, they get a little bit of seed. Those that have the shallow stony, emotional, they, they get a little bit of seed. These ones here filled with worldly cares, they get a little bit of seed. They all need that, you see. Now, the point is, no good sower in his right mind would take his seed and dump it wholesale over the pathway, over the rocky way, over the thorny way. That's not what the sower does. You say, well then, why is he sowing in these areas? He wasn't, per se. As he was sowing, some, which means a small portion of the whole, some got onto the pathway. Some got onto the stony way. Some got onto the thorny way. 
He wasn't purposely aiming for these areas because he'd be out of his mind. He'd lose his job as a sower. He was aiming for the good ground. But as he was sowing, some fell on these three areas. Now our accidents are God's designs. Because as Jesus interpreted this parable, those with hard hearts need a little bit of the seed. They need to hear the gospel. Those with shallow emotional hearts, they need to hear the gospel. Those with worldly cares, they need to hear the gospel. They all need to hear the gospel, you see. So it was almost that we, we might say by accident that some of the seed went on these three areas. But of course, in the Lord's dealings, there are no accidents. But we get to verse 8 again. But other, that's the main body, the main bulk, of the, the bag of seed. That's where he was trying to sow. He was trying to get to. And so it's different. This word other is different. Other as in quantity. The bulk of the seed went right here. Now look at verse 23. But he that received the seed into the good ground. This is the, the prepared soil. The large place. The rocks are out. The weeds are out. It's been fertilized. It's been plowed. It's all ready for the seed. And the sower comes along and introduces the seed into the good ground. Is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. So he hears it and understands it. Which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundred fold, some sixty, some thirty. Wow. This soil here, this good ground is finely ground up. This is what soil is. Soil is fine, fine ground up rock. It's mixed with vegetable matter. It's mixed with animal matter. It's mixed with dung, the animal dung. And this is what makes good soil. And so the good heart, the good heart here is not hard. It's not overly emotional. It's not worldly. It has depth. It has humility. It has understanding. Folks, this is why we've gone to great lengths to put together Bible studies. Now, we've been using these for years and helping people to find Jesus Christ as their Savior. And these booklets are designed to take someone from flat zero to knowing everything they need to know in order to intelligently repent and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're like building blocks or steps of a stairs, if you will. We start them with the Bible. What is the Bible? They need to know that and they need to put their faith in God's Bible. And then from the Bible, who is God? We teach them all about God. From the Bible, we teach the creation of man. We didn't evolve from the apes. At least no one I know of did. We are a direct creation from God the God of the Bible. But we have a sin problem. And that's where we learn about the Savior and what Jesus did. And then, probably the most important of the booklets, repentance and faith. This is the key that unlocks the door. And we have one more on the church and what that is. But we, we at our own cost, 
we make these, we print them, we assemble them, we give them out. Now, if Joel Olstein were offering you these books, you could have them at $19.95 apiece. Today only, special. We don't put a price on salvation. So it's our ministry that we gladly do. It's the seed we're sowing, hopefully, into some good hearts. This parable here teaches us the four types of hearts that are out there. Jesus was postponing. He had the authority and power to do this. He was now postponing the millennial kingdom and introducing the church. But you know something very important? And I want you to look at it. Go back just a couple pages, back to chapter 7. In chapter 7, the Lord is finishing up His famous Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Back in chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And very important, we do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? That we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. That's the will of the Father. And Jesus here talks of religious people that have done everything else except that. So they... They've never received Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Maybe they never really believed they were bad enough to go to hell. They never really believed that their sin separated them from God. They would be nice people who would go to church. They're just nice people. They might be nice neighbors. But at the end of the day, they're still not the children of God. They're children of the devil. And Jesus said in the next verse, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils. Boy, they're trying to do a lot of that these days, aren't they? And in thy name done many wonderful works and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know, that's a hard pill for some of us to swallow, but it's true. Some nice people doing what appears to be nice religious works but yet they were never truly born again. They're going to end up in hell. They're going to end up going down, not up. And it's going to be quite a surprise. There is a hotel in North Carolina, and it's named the uh, Grove Park Inn in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. It's a beautiful hotel. When you go there, You walk through the front doors, gorgeous lobby. You check in. They assign you a room on the sixth floor. You go to the elevator. The doors close. You know, you punch number six. All of a sudden, you're going down. And you think something's wrong with the elevator. And finally, it stops. Number six opens up. It didn't make any mistake. The hotel is built on the side of a mountain. And so you start at the top and you go to your floor. 
down. It's a very unusual hotel. But more than one person has been surprised and shocked to find them going down, not up. And that's what's going to happen one day with some people. Some nice people that go to good churches that preach the gospel, that hand out gospel tracts, that pray for the lost, that are doing everything in their power to reach their city and reach their world. And there will be some nice people in churches like that around the world who will get the shock of their life when they go down and not go up. My friend, it's very important. Look at me now. It's very important that you know for sure. Put the camera on me, guys. I want you to see this. Look at me. There. Thank you. This is important. Don't miss this. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. You only have this life. There is no second chance. There's no reincarnation. You don't get to come back and do it over. This is it, folks. You need to be sure you're born again. So many, many people in Jesus' day, they were religious, but they were lost. Likewise today, so many, many religious people around the world, nice people, religious, but they're lost. They've never been born again. How is your heart tonight? Is it hard, my friend? Is it all emotional and fluffy? Is it filled with the cares of this world? Or is it good, good soil, good heart? As evidenced in the fruit you are bringing forth. Bringing forth a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. How is your heart tonight? Heavenly Father. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.